Hey everyone, the Apex Vaulting Podcast is sponsored by UCS Spirit. It's the most popular pole in the world. Both world records are set, men and women's, on UCS Spirit poles. I can't say enough good things about the UCS Spirit Pole. At the Apex Vaulting Club, we have access to over 170 UCS Spirit Poles. I trust the UCS Spirit brand. That's what my kids jump on, whether it's beginners, experts, middle school, high school, college, post-collegiate, UCS Spirit all the way through. And you know it's a consistent brand. When you're going up five pounds of pole with UCS Spirit, you know it's going to be a true five pounds. It's not going to feel like 10 pounds. It's not going to feel like eight pounds. It's going to feel like five pounds. And the other thing, I have some UCS Spirit poles that are over 10 years old. When I buy a brand new UCS Spirit pole and it's the next five pounds up, it's con- still consistent. It still feels the same. It There is no difference that you can fit those poles in perfectly. It's awesome. It's a very consistent brand. I can't say enough good things about the UCS Spirit pole. Um, make sure to like us, Apex Vaulting, on Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram, at The Real Apex Vaulting, and you can follow us on Twitter at Apex Vaulting. Um, we have our website as well, apexvaulting.com, where you can find out our club information. And pretty soon, you'll be seeing on the website some exciting news. And I've been waiting to announce this. I've been so excited about this opportunity because um, I can't imagine when I started coaching, um, if I had access to a store where I could buy poles. I mean, how awesome would that be? Well, the Apex Vaulting Club in New Jersey is actually going to have a stock of UCS Spirit poles, and you as a coach can personally come down and purchase a pole. How awesome. You don't have to wait for shipping. You know, you don't have to wait for the pole to get made. We'll have a stock of poles here. You can come in and get what you need. Um, Obviously, if we don't, we'll be more than happy to order something, but we're going to have a stock of poles here awesome opportunity. I can't tell you how many times I would have loved to do that. We'll also be having uh, having a delivery option also. If you don't have time to come to the club and, and pick up your pole, we'll drop it off at your high school. So it's a great opportunity for people in the tri-state area. The other thing you can check out on our website, we also have Apex Vaulting mer- merchandise. You want t-shirts, tank tops, we have them. We'll have more stuff that we'll add as time goes on. Uh, Make sure to check it out. You can shoot us an email at apexvaulting at gmail.com if you have any questions about anything or you want to buy any merchandise. Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, This is our first episode, and we are very lucky to be in Knoxville, Tennessee. We drove down 10 and a half hours last night, me and Billy, um, to get this podcast for all of you people. Um, and our first guest is Roman Bacharnikov. Um, he coached Lawrence Johnson in the 2000 Olympics to silver. Um, he also has his website M640. And I guess I wanted to start there. Um, you know, you made this website M640. M640.com, right? M640.com. M like a letter M. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. M640.com. Where, where did you come up with with this technical model, like, you know, it's a little bit different and maybe you need to clarify some things for the audience so they can kind of understand. Um, and where's the history from it? Cause you know, I, I came here maybe like four or five years ago for the first time and uh, yeah, time flies. Um, and dramatic difference. I mean, it made a huge impact in my coaching. I know before that trip, you know, my best girl at the time was jumping 12.8 and she was gripping 12.9. And after that trip, you know, she ended up jumping 
13, five that year with 12, nine grip, you know? So it's like the speed of the jump was just so much faster. We were getting so much more efficiency off the jump. So where, where, where do all these ideas come from? Well, M640 stands for, AM stands for model, and 640 stands for the height. Okay. And uh, the reason I... Uh, but Roman, nobody's ever jumped 640. Well, that, that's, what, that, that's what I'm saying. So the reason I, I called that, uh, uh, named that uh, model like this is because uh, although nobody on the paper jumped this height, but I have seen in the late 80s. And just, wait, 90s, and just to clarify, 640s, what? It's, uh, it's, it's 21 feet. 21 feet, okay. Just so Roughly, plus knows. mine. I mean, I could never know exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the to the a third of an inch or more. Right, but right. It's roughly 21 feet. Right, okay. <clears throat> and everybody should go to metric anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an argument there. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so... Uh, so the reason I, I named that, that model this way is because uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, I have seen jumps by Sergei Bukka okay. that not just me, but other people, other professionals, other coaches, other athletes were pretty convinced that were 640 jumps. Right, yeah, that he could jump 21, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, I know at the time he was kind of inching it, inching it out for... I guess for bonuses and all that. Right, but right. He had certain sponsors. I bet he regrets yeah. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe. Because you can't buy time back. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's But true. anyway, so we, we, we saw those gems. Um, and um, uh, in the mid-80s when he came up, well, he came up in the 83, really, but really kind of blossomed in the 85, 86, 87. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was to me. It was a revolutionary jump, and it, right. you know, and uh, uh, I was really interested in in the mechanics of Tobol. You know, I have okay. an engineering background. Okay. Back in Russia, and uh, so I uh, kind of did a research, maybe a, a multi-year research, kind of mm-hmm. like trying to figure out what. Uh, what was he doing? You know, yeah. What I, made his jump work, right. and why did he get that? And you know, I guess I I, I was fortunate because I'm from Sochi, Russia, and okay. um, it is an Olympic uh, base. Okay. I, there was Olympic Games there a couple of years ago. Right. Yes. Olympic Games, yeah, yeah. but historically, it's the it's an Olympic training center, sort of like a Chula Vista in in United States. So the, right, right. So from from the early age. Uh, you know, there were a lot of good athletes coming in for camps and uh, national camps and stuff. So, I guess I was fortunate to to kind of be exposed to that. And right, you got to see a lot of top end athletes and see how. how yeah, but in my opinion, you know, Bubka and Petrov really introduced a different different method of pole vaulting, mm-hmm. and uh, and. The method really, what in my opinion, made the results. And I know Renault is a is a world record holder right now, and mm-hmm. I mean it's, it's a great jump. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to see if uh, Bubka was <laughs> jumping and somebody if, was if, pushing him. Yeah, if they were both in their yeah, prime together. It would be interesting you know? to see how far and where it would go. 
Right. right. It's kind of like when people talk about, uh, you know, heavyweight boxers, like, oh, could Muhammad Ali, you know, fight, right, fight exactly. this guy today? Well, you know? Michael Jordan against LeBron James. Right, exactly. Which I think yeah. Michael Jordan rules, right? <laughs> <laughs> and some people be like, no, that's yeah, a blasphemy. Yeah. LeBron is the man. <laughs> right, yeah. That's, that, it makes it interesting <laughs> controversy or interesting right, co- right, conversation. Right. Well, so, um, you know, I've uh, studied, uh, I, I did research sort of the all available information and you know I was jumping myself at the time mm-hmm. in um, in the and what, what was your lifetime best 60 560 okay but at, at the so time in junior 184 just yeah, for a bit. but in, at the time in junior so I was in junior in the mid 80s and uh, um, I think I, uh, my junior record is 540, so okay. which is not a bad bad thing for no no because junior is considered what 19, uh, 19 and under so 17 eight and a half yeah that's an awesome jump. Um, so anyway, so I uh, stopped using the method and myself kind of like I was my my own guinea pig first, okay, and, and try to um, to figure out you know how does that work like yeah the questions I have. At the time when I was 17, 16 well, let's, years old. Let's take a pause because before earlier you mentioned, you know, Petrov and Bubka that they developed something different. What what was maybe something you took from their development and then maybe you can start to talk about maybe what you started to add to that? You know, what, what were some of the important elements that you think with Petrov and Bubka that were so important? Well, the, the first question really I had... Uh, for myself is, okay, so we know, we run, we plant the pole, we jump and do all that stuff. Well, the question I had always is, when do you be- begin the inversion or rock back, we used to call it at the time. Okay, yeah. And when do you do that? Like, when do you, when do you uh, finish the jump and when do you actually flip? Right. And uh, nobody could answer that. Like, right. I was talking to uh, many people and some good coaches. Like, I knew Yugodin, uh personally was in Russia, was, uh, was kind of grandfather of uh, Russian mm-hmm. football anyway. And, uh, and people just couldn't answer that. Yeah, I mean, I, I even saw literature, you know, when I first started coaching. Uh, this is now, I started coaching 2004, 2005. It, People would talk about hanging in the beginning, you know, or people talk about a drive phase, and so... Yeah, you read a lot of literature from, like, 60s and 70s, and there's a there's this drive phase and um, seat position and all right, that sort right, of thing. Right. And, uh, so I think uh, what I think Bubka and Petrov introduced, a simplification. Okay. Simplification uh, of the pole vault and of the pole vault model. And at the time in Russia, I know in the mid '80s, um, you know, there was a lot of research in the different sports, and there was um, this idea that simplified models are more suitable for physical growth and physical input, because if the models are too complicated, and not just in pole vault, in other right, events right. like high jump and yeah. other events, um, so, and I kind of was exposed to all that, you know, and. Um, mm. So the idea was the simpler the model, the easier it is to adapt like a growing strength and speed to it. And if it's complicated, okay, then it, it kind of gets a negative, negative feedback for 
the development of physical abilities. Well, right, and I think something that we've talked about in the past is when you talk about physical movement and an athlete trying to compete in an event, and specifically pole vaulting, things are happening so fast that if the more complicated it is, the more difficult it is for you to process it all and, and make it happen. And I'm sure, uh, I mean, you guys heard before people say, well, maybe you're running too fast. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've heard that, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine, Tim Mack, you know, mm-hmm. he's on the champion. And yeah, we not, discussed, it wasn't too bad. No, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> so we discussed that and we're like, there's no such thing as running too, too fast. There's no such thing. You just have to run faster. <laughs> right, yeah, you always have to go faster. Well, yeah. but, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your model is complicated. Right. If, um, if for, your plant... For, for example, yeah, you were about to mention the plant. If you have a two-handed plant that's very mechanical, you know... It, the more components, the, the more motor units involved in the motion, the more complicated it is. Mm-hmm the easier it's to break. And if the conditions change, and it could be wind, it could be extra speed, maybe you feel better. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... You're peaking. Yeah, and so... And then you run faster, and the timing doesn't work with the complicated model, so what do you do? You slow down. That's right. the only way. And, and, so, and so I think what Buka and Petrov introduced is the simplification. Right. First of all, um, I, I, you know, at the time we talked about it, back in the 80s when we had access you know, to those guys and mm. uh, they really were uh, saying that there's really not a lot of difference between jumping on the rigid pole like a steel pole right. and the fiberglass pole right i mean pole bends and pole recoils but athletes really shouldn't even think about it. <laughs> right 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 i mean i i talk about it a, a lot with the the kids at my club you know and we actually mentioned it a little bit in the last podcast you know, if you can't jump on a rigid pole, you're not really probably ready for a pole, a pole that that is flexible. Even well, I mean, there's still a little, it's still a little bit different um, mechanics there in, right, in a right. rigid pole jump. But what I'm saying in general, in general, they kind of came up with this aha moment mm-hmm. that hey, look, it's it's pretty much the same because I remember when the five glass pole uh, uh, pole vaulting just came in. And, you know, I've talked to first coaches and first athletes, and they had a crazy ideas. I mean, right. they had these ideas that, hey, the closer you, the, in other words, the more under you are, the more you can bend the pole. And, and, and the higher you can And grip. then you have to bend it more, and then it will get you the energy back and that, that sort of thing. Um, and that's what people were thinking in the 60s and 70s. Right, right. Because the main advantage they saw the fiberglass pole gives you, A, on the grip, Right. So you have to bend it more to get to grip higher. And then people had this idea that it, it gives you energy back and it throws you over the bar. And, 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 so you, and so the whole model before, I think, Petrov was kind of focused on that. Yeah, on, on you're focusing on the bending the pole. And, you know, and again, you know, things that we always mention, it, you know, it has to be more about what the athlete's doing, not what the pole's doing. Right, you know, right. Pole is not trainable. Yeah, it's yeah. Just <laughs> and 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 you hear a lot of that, and so I think the difference they had, well, introduced. Uh, although he wasn't the only one at the time that was doing this. I mean, there were some American pole vaulters that did sort of a free takeoff, where the pole didn't really bend mm-hmm. uh, on the ground, like Mike Talley, for example. You know, mm-hmm. um, but th- that was a deliberate sort of. Uh, 
technical aspect that they develop, mm-hmm. um, and that, that allowed. Because you know, if you don't bend the pole on the ground, you don't feel the stiffness of the pole. You only feel the stiffness of the pole when your foot is on the ground and the pole starts bending. Right. Right. If yes. you're in the air, you don't feel it. Right. Yeah. You have no idea what pole is doing the. Well, an idea that you said on one of the trips when we came down here with a group of athletes was, you know, you shouldn't be conscious of the pole. You know, if you're if you're actually coming down, you're running down, you take your jump and you do what you need to do, and you're less conscious of the pole, the jump will be smoother and it'll be more efficient. And I, I really like that idea of not being conscious of the pole. Because I think too many times athletes get too aware of the pole and they're thinking about the pole instead of the jump. Yeah, and you, if you start, uh, if, if you're... Uh, jump depends on the timing on the pole mm-hmm. that it's too complicated right because the timing as the speed changes as the height changes the timing changes and so uh, the simplification and I think what uh, like you, you could see some of the earlier Bukka's jumps mm-hmm. you know we, we used to call it in Russia helicopter right because right. I, I remember sitting with uh, uh, Vladimir Polikov which was a, a, a world record holder First Russian world record holder, she jumped uh, 581, I think. Okay, so it's um, a little over 19. Yeah, and, and we were sitting there uh, in Sochi at one of the competitions, and I already got out of the competition. Yeah. And he got out of the competition, yeah. and so Bubka is jumping 585 or something, and, <laughs> and he goes arms and legs all over all the place. All like, yeah. And Vladimir says, he can't, there's no technique in this jump, and he can't jump. <laughs> and I'm like, listen... <laughs> Dude, he just, you know... He just boomed this thing by like a foot. (laughs) Right, you're talking about like a 19-3 jump and he just blew it up, yeah. And so, at the time, I, you know, it was clear to me, I was young at the time, and it was, but it was clear to me that he was doing something different, that even, even the guys that were world record holders couldn't understand that. Right, and, 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 you know, one of the elements that I I think is so key, especially when you talk about Petrov and, and Bubka, is, you know... A very very standard run, a, a, an approach that you smoothly accelerate down the runway, a high pull carry. With well, the I, ha- I, ha- I have all the details on m640.com. Right, well, you're welcome to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that by the way, I mean, unfortunately, we're not videotaping this. Uh, but you know, for visuals, definitely visit m640.com. I mean, there's so much information on there. Um, there's it's a subscription website. Yeah, there's some free content, but the subscription content is amazing. Um, so you can get some of these visuals. But yeah, the, the free pole drop, the approach, and that's why even uh, at this summer's Olympics, you know, Petrov is uh, coaching Tiago Silva. I mean, that's what... A De Silva, sorry. Um, but what an amazing approach. I mean, to me, I was watching that and just looking at old videos even, you know, prior to the Olympics and then watching that Olympics, the development of his approach, the development of his pole drop, that that's what kind of, to, to me, sets up his whole jump. And I feel like he doesn't even have the off-the-ground complete yet. That off-ground mechanics are not even there. His approach is just carrying him over that 603 bar. Well, I think this is part of the simplification. If you look at... If you look at uh, at his jump, there is not a lot of time. The Silva, you're talking about, yeah. The, yeah, the the Tiago and um, and you know Petrov coached quite a few people. I mean, he coached the world uh, champion from Italy. Yeah, he's, he's not a bad coach. Yeah. That Petrov guy's doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's really uh, yeah. I mean, over the years, yeah, but I, Bubka, Giuseppe Gabalisco, he worked with Yelena Zimbaeva the last time she broke her role. Well, I mean, there's a lot, 
a lot yeah. of other uh, guys that Trenton Koff and Vasily Bubka. Yeah, there's a, yeah. There's there's a lot of uh, guys. I, that, how about that being Bubka's brother? You I know, know right? I mean, any other family, you're probably the best pole vaulter at 19 feet, and now you got to Yeah, he jumped 585 or 586. Oh, okay, so 19.3-ish, 19.4, yeah. and it's your second best. You know, that, that's got to be rough. Yeah. <laughs> he's an older brother, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so, so the simplification and uh, focus on simplifying the model and making it more physical, mm-hmm. I think... That's the contribution, without going into details of it, right, 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 methods and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's probably the contribution. I th- I personally think that I call it a positive feedback is where is where model is so simple and so streamlined where you run faster and you jump higher, and that becomes a, a positive feedback. So you want to run even faster. And right, does it make sense? No, absolutely. As opposed to when you run faster and you having problems with plant or running through or you can't time up with the pole and then what do you do? You just you just slow down. Right. Because that's it, a negative feedback. Right, yeah, because you see it with people who have a very mechanical plant, let's say, uh, they're trying to, you know, drive in and really bend the pole more or something. You'll see that as the athlete actually gets faster and stronger, they don't always get the desired outcome. They could get maybe 10, 15% faster and stronger, but then only see maybe a 2% return on PR. You know, and so then all of a sudden they give up. Yeah, you're not getting and you're not getting that feedback. So in fact, you're like, oh, maybe I got to back off training. Maybe I have to slow down. Well, one of, one of the things you can you can clearly see that most uh, most leading pole vaulters in the world right now are using a free takeoff. Oh uh, yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, there are few that are yeah. not. And, uh, and, and just to clarify for anybody listening, a free takeoff is when you leave the ground before the when you, so, so the, the definition is when you complete your jump, right. uh, you may still, you, your toes may, may still be on the ground, but you complete your jump, uh, and, uh, you, you don't have a pole resistance. Yet. Right. Yeah. The pole is not hitting you yet. Right. So it's not bending. So you're not resisting the pole. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do resist on the ground. Right, so that puts a lot of strain, uh, strain on your back, on your hamstrings, on your shoulders. Yeah. And as an athlete, if you try to run faster, those forces and the pain would be amplified by that. And so the right. athletes that um, sort of use the, the the old method, I call it, you still yeah. can jump pretty high. I mean, they're yeah. There are people jumping five or three. (laughs) Well, what would you say percentage-wise, you know, because even when we're discussing technical model, just to be clear and just so people understand, what percentage is the athleticism and what percentage is the technique, you know? Well, I... Because you're right. Like, a good enough athlete is still going to jump. I may have a a little bit radical sort of a a radical perspective on that. Okay. You know, I think if you let's say take a long jumper right and you teach a long jumper how to long jump right okay this is it there is not really a lot there that you can do so the increase in results would be due to speed yeah the physical parameters yeah so like if you have a long jumper that jumps 21 feet or 23 feet right or 24 feet. I mean, there could be some technical issues in the run-up and yeah. uh, the takeoff and so on. But once you address that, uh, it, it is pretty much physical ability. Right. 
So in the same way, I think um, there is a basic pole vault model, basic pole vault structure that once you achieve that, more or less close to perfection, right. there is nothing really can be done technically. So it is, um, it is physical input that makes the difference. Right. I mean, you still like, let's say, you know, Dr. Peter McGinnis, uh, he had that uh, biomechanical chart, the meters per second you need at takeoff to yeah. achieve certain heights. Exactly. So, so we know there's certain physical minimums. Um, so even, even with per, uh, perfected technique, you know, you need those physical numbers to achieve certain heights. Um, so that's why sometimes, you know, like you bring up the point, you can jump high or, you know, with other technical models, but that's because you're dealing with a very physical athlete. You know, you can, you can see maybe a guy jump 18 feet, you know, a 550 bar who's very, very physically dominant, but potentially with good technique should jump higher, right? Well, and that's so what people always talk about. What what is a good technique? You know, it's not right, like, right, yeah. So, in my in my opinion, the definition would be if if the technique promotes that positive feedback I was talking about, mm -hmm. where it's simple and streamlined enough that it allows for physical development. Okay. To me, this is really the definition of good technique. Mm -hmm. Okay. There are a variety, like I always give this parable, you know, there's a ways, if, if, if I need to put the tree down, I can do it with a rock, I can do it with my teeth, I can do it with a sharp axe. I mean, I, if you give me the objective, put this tree down, okay, I'll put it down. Right, right. All right. Now, however... If I do it with my teeth and it's a big tree, I may, <laughs> I may not have enough time in my lifetime to put it down. <laughs> right, right, right. So I need a sharp. So I, there's different ways people can do. Um, you know, I, I always give this example. Um, there are people, um, Ty Hardy, for example, is one of the mm -hmm. guys that I really love. I mean, he was a really good pole vaulter. And, uh, I mean, he jumped 565 or even 570 sliding the pole. Right, yeah, because, that, yeah, after a certain point in his career, he started to slide the pole. Well, no, he was just doing it for the kick, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. But anyway, I mean, can you do this and jump world record? Absolutely. But do you really need is to it do that? <laughs> is, it a, yeah. Yeah. is it a bad technique? Is it good? In my opinion, you know, if you start thinking about imperfections in the, on the runway, there could be... A, affecting your run and stuff too, it's going to negatively affect your speed, right? Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. And just, I, uh, just sliding the pole, it creates friction. <laughs> well, right. And, and I think, you know, that's an excellent example because I think sometimes uh, people want a quicker fix. You know, like let's say a high school coach might, might think, well, you know, it's very complicated to teach the pole carry and the plant. Let's just have the kids slide. They'll start jumping and they'll clear bars. But the thing is, at some point, that's going to affect, uh, you know, the efficiency of the, the progress that the athlete can make long term. Yeah, but you know, I, I kind of, I, I believe in that um, the simplicity is, is, is one of the things that we need to kind of strive in this event. Yeah. Uh, I actually was exposed to, you know, I came from a Russian pole vaulting school. Mm -hmm. And I always say there's like three major pole vaulting schools. Okay. And there's a one word that describes each one of them. Okay. So French is one of them. 
Okay. And the word that describes so French, Russian, and American, I think there's like a, Those I mean, there's three. a varieties of and Germans and there are different influence in Australia and so on. But um, if you describe those three major schools, yeah, I would say French. The word describes them is circus. Yeah. Okay. Now, a Russian is a hammer. It's a really very simple, very technical. And it's like boom, boom, boom. It's yeah. very, it's a mass production almost. Right, 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 right. And right. it's all organized and things, things like that. And if I describe American pole vaulting with one word, it's a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody jumps their own way. Right. Yeah. We, you know, it's America. We have free, freedom. We free, can yeah. do what we want. Right. And and so <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> so when I was exposed to to this Russian method when I grew up, yeah. it was all technical. I mean, we knew everything, you know, and it was so detailed and so drilled and all that. And then I go to Australia. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then I go to Australia at, at, at the end of 1980. So like 90, January, I think 1990, I think that was. Okay. And uh, so I got some friends there and I was jumping there a little bit until I did my ACL. <laughs> but anyway, and then I see this guy is jumping 550, 560, and I'm like, you're not supposed to jump like that. So that really exposed me to a different approaches, you know, and, and I start thinking, well, maybe we overcomplicate things, you know, maybe that there's, there is maybe emphasis on like super technical models and, and maybe it's, it's misplaced. Maybe we got to relax. Right. Relax a little bit and have fun. Uh, and I, I really, I think it was a good experience for me to, to be exposed to that. And okay. then I knew some French pole vaulters and, and then kind of coming to the United States, exactly what I saw is right. sort of like what I saw in Australia yeah. is where everybody jumps different. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People can have fun, and uh, I mean, there are obviously hundreds of ways you can jump into yeah, feet. And, and yeah, especially like you know, bringing up the fun idea. I mean, it does need to be fun. It you is. know what I mean? We have to draw in you know athletes. We want people to enjoy themselves. And uh, even the last podcast I did, the zero episode, the one athlete was like, you know, come to think of it, he goes, I don't know. If I came to this club, maybe I wouldn't be pole vaulting. I kind of just wanted to hang out with my friends and jump. You know, <laughs> exactly. so it, you do want to have fun. You. You have to have that balance, you know. Right. So, so in Australia, you know, when I went there, and I, I was exposed to to different approaches, you know. Although um, a gentleman I was working with uh, there, um, uh, Alan Launder, he yeah. passed away. Uh, was that last year? Or was it two years? I think it might be two years. Ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he was the and he, he was the author of Beginner to Bubka, yes. which was very influential book. Right. So uh, so he was the head uh, pole vault coach there, and uh, um, at the time we were a coach and an athlete. I, I came there with uh, Yuri Volkov, who was my coach at the time, and um, I was the only one that could speak English at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a, a kind of poor English, but. Um, so we came to Perth first. Uh, uh, Steve Ripon invited us five athletes, uh, five people, three okay. athletes, and um, and um, two coaches. And so Steve, uh, very enthusiastic coach, and 
really loved the event and he had a, uh, a guy, Jimmy Miller, was eventually, I think, Jimmy jumped into the 70 or 85, 70 or 5. Okay. So it was pretty good, uh, pretty good setup there in Perth. And uh, so we were there for six months and then I kind of moved to Adelaide and, okay. and uh, worked with Alan. So it was very uh, interesting because, um, you know, I really didn't think that pole vaulting was like an important thing. You know, I was like, <laughs> hey, man. And we would sit sit and eat dinner and drink wine and and he would ask me questions and say, why, why, why? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Could you explain that? Could you explain that? So he kind of made me think and put, um, organize things in my mind myself so I can explain okay. it to other people. So it was, he was a, a good influence. I mean, actually, he kind of encouraged me to... This is Alan to, you're talking Yeah, about? Alan, yeah. yeah. He, he encouraged me to coach because I was ready to go and live and go back home to Russia and... I actually went and then uh, they called and said, hey, could you come in? We have this Barcelona Olympic Games coming in and I think the guys really liked uh, what you did and, you know, would you come back and help out? And help yeah. out. And I, and I said, sure. So I came back you know, like two weeks later, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so worked with the, their pole vaulters um, for, for Barcelona Games. It's, it's amazing, too, to hear your story, you know, with Alan, you know, and thinking about just that idea of like two guys having dinner and just talking about pole vault all night and asking those questions. And I feel like that becomes such an important part. You know, if, if you're really going to be uh, as successful as possible or see how far you can take, let's say an event like pole vault, you really have to have that, that mind that's chasing more information. You know, you have to be like a sponge and really try to soak in as well, much when, knowledge so as possible. When I, came, when I came to the United States in 92, um, you know, I was also fortunate with uh, UCS Spirit, with Steve Chappell, and okay. uh, at the time, the, the Reno Summit was just an in infancy, basically, and Bob Fraley, uh, Bob Fraley was organizing, uh, he was so determined to lift American pole vault out of the slum, because, you know, we haven't yeah. won for, since, like, silver, uh, bronze medal in 87 indoor or 89, mm -hmm. I forgot what it was, 87, I think, in Minneapolis, uh, just couldn't get any medals at the international competitions. And uh, I think Bob was so determined to do whatever it takes, bring whoever possible to just expose so to more information. Right? Yeah. And I know, I know there were people came in uh, to Reno and Petrov came to Reno and French guys came to Reno and it was like, a boiling pot of information. I think yeah, that made I, a huge difference. Yeah, I absolutely. I think you know what Bob Fraley did in, in setting up the the Reno Pole Vault Summit was instrumental. It was hu huge because then that even created the environment where you know Alan came in with beginner Tabuka and he he gave several talks at Reno and I, that had a huge influence with so many coaches in the last you know 10 15 years you know and you can see the results yeah in general even here in Knoxville you know I call it um, Silicon Valley of pole vaulting because <laughs> I mean there's really good coaches here there's so Jim B Miller who coached well, how, how did you end up in Knoxville um, well uh, it's a kind of long story but in in short uh, so Jim B Miller was coaching Lawrence at the time, Lawrence Johnson, okay. uh, and he coached him to American record and NCAA record, 598, uh, which that record, NCAA record, is still standing 20 years later. Yeah, 
Crazy. So, which is just pretty amazing. And uh, so in 96, when uh, Lawrence graduated, he just uh, needed to make adjustments, I guess, mm -hmm. to post-collegiate career. And uh, he asked me to, uh, to work with him. And, you know, long story short, you know, I said, okay, let's, let's, let's go for six months and see yeah, if yeah. I can help you, see if you... Mm -hmm. The basic agreement was, okay, let's go for six months yeah, and you see if I can help you and then I see if I can work with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. People have to see that that coach-athlete relationship is a relationship. You have to see if it works. Yeah. And so I said, okay, let's, let's just do this. And if I can, you know, if I can help you, then, then we'll, we'll continue. And uh, so that's basically, we started in right after Olympic Games in 96 in Atlanta. Uh, which he was a Olympian there. He uh, won Olympic trials that year, right of uh, right after college, where mm -hmm. he was still in college, I think. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but he won the Olympic trials, and he went to um, Atlanta Olympic Games, and I was sitting there with my buddies, and we were doing bets on who's going to do what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I really haven't never talk to him much except I think in 93 or 94 when Petrov was at uh, Reno Summit um, you know we were in the room once and uh, Petrov we were looking at his videos and Lawrence was there and I was translating for that that's the only really personal interaction I had with him before right and um, I mean we kept in, in touch sort of with UT uh, again with Jim with didn't know each other personally, but you know right. we kind of know, knew each other through the polls. Through the polls, kind yeah. Of, yeah. But anyway, so that's that's how basically we started, and then uh, he wanted to go to Florida, Boulder, Colorado, and then um, mm -hmm. it's all within like six, seven months, and then um, and then uh, it, we kind of decided, hey, why don't we just uh, go back to Tennessee because the head coach, Tennessee head coach at the time, just said, hey, come back, guys, and, you know, you can train here. Yeah, you train here and alma mater and all that. Yeah, so yeah. that's how I ended up in Tennessee. Okay. And what, what I'm saying is in Knoxville, uh, there is really, so Jim B. Miller is one coach. So Tim Mack is uh, another coach. He's coaching right now. here, yeah. He's coaching here right now. And he is coaching men and women and, you know, Russ Johnson coaching, right. coaching uh, at UT, uh, which uh, NTA champion this year. Yeah, um, Jacob Blankenship. Jake, Jake Blankenship. Right. Yeah. So no, I mean, there's such a rich history here in Knoxville. It's all in one town. And yeah. I mean, often, often we used to jump on the same pit for a for a long time. Actually, right. last year they remodeled the the remodeled the the, the track. The track. Yeah. So we did, in fact, jump all on the same, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the same yeah. pit outdoors. Anyway, it was, it was interesting. So this always uh, creates sort of a creative and interactive atmosphere for people to learn from each other. Yeah, and maybe. How, how could you not? You know, right, I mean, just, all, uh, all these great minds together, all these great athletes together. You, everybody you has an input, and so that's why. Like the, the reason I call it Silicon Valley, because in Silicon Valley, in in the technology, all these right. big companies there, and they they consider that a, a, a very big asset because you can um, 
interact with each other. Learn. Right. Yeah, you're feeding off each other and you're competing against each other and it drives everybody to, to perform better. Right. So that's why I think uh, it's kind of a unique situation in Knoxville here. So. And yeah, I agree. It, 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 it has a great tradition. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I still remember the first summer, you know, coming down. Uh, I was actually at, at high school nationals, and I see Daniel Isaac at nationals, and I see his girls doing some weird planting drill, and I ask him about it, and he's like, you have too many questions, you have to meet Roman. And I'm like, is that, is that how we got to know each other? Yeah, that's how we got to know each other. I can't remember. Yeah. And so he, I'm like, well, I'll go, I'll go, I have nothing to do next week. I'll go to Tennessee next week. He goes, well, let me call Roman. And so he called you, you agreed. I actually, I stayed with uh, Steph Simpkins. Remember when she, oh, yeah, she yeah, was yes, training yes, with yes, you. Yeah. And so I drove down the next week and it was like, I mean, I'm telling you, like uh, revolutionary. And just like you said, to see the atmosphere of everybody training together on the same track, it's amazing. You know, when I, I, I was talking earlier, um, about like mid 80s like 84 85 and uh and i had this realization like an epiphany almost at mm -hmm. uh, one camp we were with the national team and that we were talking about when you begin inversion when you start flipping. okay yeah, yeah. and i had this epiphany that you really started right after you take off like okay. right after the jump mm -hmm. so they're like in essence one one motion uh, and uh, I just totally understood this at the time and I uh, couldn't even sleep that night and the next day I was going I was going to uh, talk to you Gordon about this okay. and I mean you know and I went in and I just explained it to him and 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 he was like wow this is really amazing <laughs> yeah 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 because it is a revolutionary idea especially at the time you know to think you know to start inversion immediately you know a lot of even right now people who are listening to this might disagree right and and okay it's just an it's just an opinion right <laughs> right no it's it's fine I mean, we're discussing something yeah but um, so to me that was a an epiphany, basically, and mm -hmm. uh, and when you're saying that sometimes when you realize how simple it is and really what the what the what you should do, yeah, and how simple it is, mm -hmm. it, it is mind-boggling. It could like totally. So I always say that pole vaulting is really jumping over a bush with a stick. Yeah, I I remember okay. when you said that to me. <laughs> jumping Person. over a bush with a stick, and if you do something different in your jump then you would not do, when you're jumping with a stick over a bush, then you're doing something wrong. Right, yeah, I, I think it's a very simple, simple view. And once you break it down like that, and you don't think about the pole bending, you don't think about the event, and you just break it down like, hey, I just gave you a stick, you're gonna jump over a bush. What would you do? If you're doing something different, then you know maybe there's something wrong. If it doesn't work in that scenario, it's probably not gonna work in the wall. Right, well, so, like when I work with with athletes, the first what we'll do, and it usually takes anywhere between nine to twelve months mm -hmm. to clarify everything and simplify everything. Yeah, and then and then just see how the body responds to it. Yeah, and and just uh, to clarify what you're saying, you know, I think that's very important when an athlete starts working with a coach under any system, 
you know, whether they come to work with you, whether someone comes joins my club for the first time. Let's say, heck, uh, you know, Brian Compton down in Arkansas was doing such a great job with the women. You know, someone goes to work with him. It's going to take time, 8 to 12 months, to be ingrained into that system and realize the, the little nuances. They Even if you have a great really jump. Great jump today, yeah. Yeah, Sandy yeah. just jumped five meters here. I know. Yesterday. That's <laughs> amazing. I can't believe Sandy jumped five meters. It's so crazy. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Sandy. American record and the five meter break. Yeah, I mean, barrier. So that's, that's pretty good. So, yeah, yeah she's they're had definitely a great doing, year. doing a good. Uh, they're on the roll there in Arkansas, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But. You know, so going back to what you said, it's like it just it takes that time to for an athlete to develop into a system. You know, well, uh, you know, I uh, work and coach uh, Katie Najat, and uh, yeah, yeah, Katie had and, a great year this year. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, you know, I think, you know, we were talking um, this year with um, a few people, and. Um, in my opinion, so in the next two years, 17 and 18, 2017, 2018, there will be five or six women who will jump five meters. Uh, it certainly looks like it's going to be that way, yeah. Um, and, you know, we can go names and stuff, but, you know, I, I really think that Katie is one of those athletes. I mean, she is really, um, she's really capable of doing that. Wow, yeah, I... I mean, look, she's she's certainly continuing to improve since she started working with you, um, and she's definitely showed some, some great jumps. I mean, what, what was her best mark this year? 63, 463 uh, indoors, and 460... So that's 15... 15 and 15... 2 or 3, something like that. that yeah, that's why everybody should go to the yeah, it's but too complicated. <laughs> so yeah, and, and and you know it's on the paper, but yeah. you know we all know well, that sometimes it's on the something paper. Something I thought about this year because when I was watching like Olympic trials, like how competitive the American women were yeah. this year, and how like someone like Katie, if she was in another country, she would have been in the Olympics, you know? Right, but hey, it's not to take out from anybody. No, 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 no. But I mean, it's just uh, to show the depth that we've had in America. Exactly. I mean, you know, you you. Fourth, fifth, and sixth place is fifteen one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's a, pretty high. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's probably you know, one of the highest competitions in America, where so many people jump four sixty and higher. Anyway, uh, but yeah, definitely, same thing. When we start training, uh, and the the way that happened also, her college coach uh, when she graduated, and she mm -hmm. was a. NCAA Division Two record holder. Right, I think she jumped uh, 44, 444, and uh, and uh, I mean her coach uh, contacted me and said, "Hey, um, would you consider helping Katie?" And you know she came in here. We kind of got to know each other and start working. I think she uh, stayed here in Knoxville for almost two years, and. Um, uh, so the idea was to, again, simplify everything, make everything simple, and uh, there's definite... Because she, I, I, now correct me if I'm wrong, when she first came, uh, she would tend to sometimes have a little bit run-through issues, and since you simplified things, has that improved? Like, it's gotten easier for her? Yeah, I think, uh, well, that's one of the, that's one of the things, definitely. Uh, like, we, we had the situation where... <laughs> Uh, even even her coach said, you know, she 
tends to run through and uh, but when she's a competition she's a very good competitor yeah very good competitor like very tough-minded and uh, when she goes in a competition she will do it she'll jump yeah so uh, and uh, I remember when we started you know we had that issue of running through a little bit mm -hmm. and and uh, she would be able to do maybe six or eight jumps a session and I'm like, oh wow <laughs> that's not enough yeah yeah you need more jumps than that that's not enough. And so, so we did some um, changes in plan and, and running, just basic stuff. And uh, I think next year we, we actually tracked this. Next year we tracked this uh, that um, she hasn't had a one run-through in practice or in competition the whole wow. year. Indoors and outdoors. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to like what we originally started to talk with is that you know, the more you simplify your technique, the, the more stable it will become and the more progress and positive feedback you'll get. So even something like run-throughs, like, because, you know, sometimes coaches will ask me or athletes will ask me, like, you know, why, why is this person running through or why do I run through so often? It's because you need to simplify what you're doing. If well, it gets too complicated, you're going to get to a point where run-throughs might become an issue. This, uh, this, uh, the example with with Katie, the, there's actually um, real data that can back back up this idea of positive feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, when we started, I think uh, the first in, in 2013, the first uh, U.S. Championship, she qualified for that, um, and uh, Pete McGinnis was measuring speed there. Okay. And, you know, so we had her measurement at 8.19, so 8.19 meters per second, yeah. which is Decent, you know, it's pretty good speed, yeah, yeah. and um, so I think uh, his measurements, because he only doing it like at Reno and maybe at national championships. Right, and right. His measurement, I think, right, right now, her highest uh, in a year to went to like eight point six one. Wow, that's huge. But I improvement. have, I have time. I have time and measured it, and it was uh, eight, nine, pushing nine meters per second. Yeah. Now, Huge. why why was that possible? I mean, it, it, we didn't do any weightlifting special. I mean, we right. did some things physically, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but this is a classic example of positive feedback where you simplify things, and the body just does it. You just suck that talent out of the body. You know, you just start running because you run faster and you jump higher and you feel more comfortable. And that's, that's basically the positive feedback. Well, right. And the, and the simpler the movement is, the shorter distance, you know, you have to move your body, you know, with certain movements, it'll streamline the process and make you faster. You know, I mean, even like when you explain the plant, which a lot of times people ask me all the time, you know, what, what's so special about this technical model, you know, M M640, uh, the .com that you have. A lot of times I'm like, look, it starts with the plant. Like if you don't simplify your plant and you don't use just one hand to plant the pole, you know, just have the left, uh, the bottom hand. So if you're righty, your left, your left hand lead the plant. It it messes everything else up. You know, you can, you can't just take one piece. Like you talked about the inversion, because I think a lot of people would look at the technical model and be like, okay, well what's so special okay they try to invert faster they could agree or disagree but that's one piece of the model you you're not looking at the whole thing and something like looking at Katie's speed and her speed development at takeoff is amazing that's tremendous and like we said before if you don't hit those speeds 
then the heights are not possible. So you have to hit those speeds first. And I and I knew that because what you know when I when I saw her, I think the first session, uh, I called her coach, um, uh, in uh, Ashland, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, Ashland University. Uh, Danny is a <laughs> great coach there. He's doing a good job, and uh, so. And I told him, I think she will run nine meters per second on nine one. He was like, "What? Yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, where's this speed gonna come from?" And I could see that because you know, if you if you simplify and and make streamline everything and, and basically pole vaulting could be kind of a natural event. Like mm-hmm. think about it. You run in and you stick the. I mean, it's just very unnatural. You're you're putting yourself in danger and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of different movements that you wouldn't normally do. So if you, again, if you simplify everything and streamline everything, body actually enjoys it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I, I jumped a little bit the other day. Uh, I don't always get to jump because I don't have time. But yes, it's very enjoyable, yeah, if it's done right. All right. So, well, um, you want to talk about uh, a little bit about Olympics? Do we have some time here still? Yeah, do we, yeah I, th- I think we have a, a little bit of time. Um, and... You know, again, you know, just to wrap up the, the technical talk, you know, people should visit m640.com for sure. Um, but the simpler you make things, it's just the easier it'll be. And, and I think you have to break it down in the simplest way for, for your athletes. Um, yeah, I mean, now bringing up the Olympics, I mean, what, what did you think? What, what, what stood out for you? Was the men's final, the women's final? What? The men's final was definitely amazing <laughs> yeah I mean that uh, Tiago just pulled it out like when uh, when Bruno was going without misses and he went like 98 yeah I Olympic mean, record I think well uh, you know because I've seen Tiago jumping in the world world championship right 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 different different jumper you know yeah yeah I mean, Vitaly Petrov was really mad you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I would say even with Renault, when he came in at his opening bar, I think it was 575, 1810, I mean, it didn't even look like a good jump, and he still cleared it so easy, and I'm like, oh my god, who, nobody's going to beat him tonight, he just, he looks so good, you know, and he looked very in control the, the whole competition. Yeah, it is, it is unfortunate, because he's such a good pole vaulter, and uh, you're setting up an Olympic record. No misses, and you still get silver medal. That, that, hurt. <laughs> that, that hurts. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can feel the pain. I can't oh, understand. yeah. You know, um, and and then to, I want to know your opinion on this. When when Renault, he, you know, he missed his first two attempts at six o three, and then now Tiago makes six o three. Do you think was that the right move to pass? Because to, to me, I felt like the bar was already so high. We're at 6.03. I think... The next bar is so high, you want more than one shot at the next bar. I think uh, a lot, you know, at this level, a lot of people don't realize the time management is really important. Like, you know, that our recovery level... Yeah, right. After after jump, the full recovery is, is, is about four to five minutes. Okay. For a creatine to recover... The levels of creatine. So if you can, if you're doing jumps with a shorter recovery time, three minutes, two minutes, then after two or three jumps, you become you become very deficient, and it's even harder to get out of that 
the deficiency. So I think what and, he and got into... Just to chime in there too, even at like practices when I'm with my athletes, I'll tell them to time their rest periods depending on how long their, their approach, uh, approach is. is. And I think that's really important. When you're working with, let's say, a small group of kids sometimes, and that doesn't always happen in my situation, but if you only have two, three kids on the runway, if they're just going rapid fire jumps, those kids are going to be exhausted in like 20 minutes. Well, I think that's what that's what happened at uh, at Olympic Games. I think just by attempts, Renault just got into uh, uh, so. First of all, six or three would not make a difference for him if he cleared it, and he probably thought it yeah. would be the same. Uh, six or three or six or five, six or eight would be the same thing. Okay. Um, to him, it was, but I think more of it, it was just uh, to get more extra, rest. Extra rest. And even then, you could see that that six or eight jump wasn't as intense yeah. as the previous one. So I think he he just hit this deficiency, and after that, it's gone. You can't yeah. you, you can't in competitions because you you have to go every two minutes. Well, consecutive right. jump. If you jump consecutively, right. three minutes. If right. there's still more than one person left. Right, right, right. And and at that level, nobody can really do that. Yeah. No. I mean, it's. And, and consecutively <laughs> no and you bring up a good point I mean I, I guess initially when I, I looked at it I just felt like oh my god like he almost made 603 so easily maybe just get over that bar and give yourself three cracks at the at the next height because you know even lifetime wise how many times has he jumped 608 you know maybe he needs three attempts to but really count get how many jumps he did during the competition you know that's yeah, no, no, I agree. And look, I'm a big passer. I'm a big believer in passing. I, I always, that's like a pet peeve of mine. I'm always at championships, and you'll see a, a kid misses their first attempt. The other other kid makes it, and all these coaches, they let their kids just jump out the next two, two jumps at the bar that can't win. You know, it's like you're trying to win these meets, you know. Um, so I'm a big believer in passing, but it was just, I felt like at those heights, I was like, oh my God, maybe if he had three cracks at 608, he, he would have had a better shot. But you bring up a good point that even just rest period wise, he wouldn't have had enough rest. Yeah, I could, I could see that more. after 603 and then once, once Diego cleared that, I, I could see that the third attempt would be difficult to just physically to, to finish it. Yeah. I could already see that. And really that jump was kind of 85 maybe 90% right right and, and then never mind also the emotion of the moment you know I mean Renault probably the whole competition feels very very relaxed under in control. control yeah and then all of a sudden now you know it's like it's like you're in a uh, fight a boxing match and somebody, somebody just knocked you off yeah <laughs> oof you get knocked down you're like whoa what just yeah. happened it happens it happens so, and I mean kudos know. to uh, the silver I mean he's uh, it's um, a great, amazing. great and, he, and he's only what 22 23 years no, 22, old 22 I think oh man i mean so young kid yeah. yeah the potential you know for what that kid could do we'll going forward and i i agree that men's final was amazing i mean i think back you know of the olympics that i've watched and stuff i i love that men's final and it, it ranks up there with the 2004 women's final when yelena passes svetlana up after Right. Some misses and she's out of medal contention, passes bars, and then beats Svetlana and then breaks the world record. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there was one like that in '88 in Seoul when Bubka won his only Olympic yes, medal, yes, gold medal. I mean, he was either fourth or or, or alive. Well, yeah. not gold because oh. the Gatulin was still in it. Okay, but um, you know, there was a third attempt. And the wind was really bad, and mm -hmm. I remember watching it. 
and he was walking down on the runway and immediately turned around and started running. <laughs> like, you know, without even yeah, preparing yeah, yeah. or anything. Right, right, right. And so when I had a chance, I asked him, like, what happened? And he said the wind was so bad. And then when he was walking, he just felt like a tailwind. So he turned yeah. around and just, just ran right away. Well, and, and think about that for, for Sergey Bunka to be that, and, and to be that uh, aware, you know, because some I, I've been at meets where I, I'm ready to, like, scream at my athlete. It's like, you have tailwind, you got to go. And they're, like, waiting, waiting, <laughs> and they have to do their preparation on the pole or something. It's to be a coach, and, Yeah. It? And so it's like, you, it, to see an athlete that aware, you know, I, people don't always think about that in pole vault, but there's so many little nuances like that, like... You feel a tailwind, you gotta go, especially if it's a bad, bad yeah. windy day. Well, the girls uh, did pretty good at Olympics too. How yeah. about that uh, New Zealand girl? Though? I I know Eliza. When, yeah, when she cleared that fifteen nine bar, I thought for a minute, I'm like, oh my goodness, and that. No, I I, I knew that was gonna, gonna be no, I knew that was gonna be. Well, I I just thought like looking at the way Stephanie and Morris were jumping at that moment, they seemed a little bit frazzled, like we were saying Renault was frazzled after Tiago jumped the six hundred three. No, bar. no, I, I didn't feel that. I think uh, both Katrina, Stephanie, and and Sandy, I, I think they they knew deep inside they're okay. that they're gonna. They're gonna jump something beyond the four eighty. <laughs> Maybe one day I can get you know Sandy on, and then I can ask her if she was nervous yeah. in that moment. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure she's gonna do the podcast. Yeah, so that was good, and uh, congratulations to Stephanie, definitely Olympic champion. Yeah. Boy, Sandy was close, wasn't it? I know that the last, attempt. last attempt. That was right, right there. And silver medal is not bad. You know? No, silver medal is not bad. No. Um, so yeah, it it was an amazing Olympics. Um, it's been how long now, Billy? Hmm? How long is this podcast? Uh, we're at fifty eight minutes. Fifty eight minutes. So I, you know, we, we're trying to fit Jim B. Miller in too. Uh, so. We're, we're gonna maybe abruptly end this a little bit, but I'm sure Roman will be back on the podcast sometime. I mean, hey, anytime. There's probably I don't want to I don't want to usurp the time. You know? No, yeah, yeah, but there's plenty of things we could, we still could have discussed. I mean, uh, you know, the, even just bringing up something like rest periods, like we were talking about rest periods in between jumps, but how about rest periods between training sessions? Yeah. Like people don't think about these types of things, and you know. Again, for anybody who doesn't know about Roman Bacharnikov, one of the great pole vault minds that are out there, you <laughs> oh, should... Oh, you're like totally no, exaggerating. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm exaggerating at all. You should visit m640.com. You know, check out the free content, you know, but you should subscribe. There's so much valuable information that... A, a kind of unique mind-twisting information. Yeah, say. yeah. No, it's really going to open you up. And I think sometimes... Too often with pole vaulting, you know, we get caught up sometimes pole bending or talking about different things. But there's so much science behind it. And the more you follow that, the the, the better results you're going to get. Because I know even even going back to like you brought up Australia and Alan Wander. I remember when I first got beginner to book a, and it was to me it was like, you know, like a turning point in my coaching career. I'm like, the more I coach like this book the better my kids jump. And it's like every chapter I read, the better they jumped, you know? And it's like, so the more you can kind of look at, you know, some of these great co- coaching minds like yours, Roman, and try to learn from it as a coach. You're making you know, blush here, you know what I'm uh, saying? Well, don't, look. Don't say that. I, 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 de- I definitely don't deserve that. Well, I'm just one in the chain. Well, what one of the topics the that I'm going to talk about with Jim, and you know, and 
when we continue the next episode, uh, you know, is the pole influences. People need influences in, in coaching, and you're definitely one of those great influences, you know? Some people, yes. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate you for inviting me, and I'm glad that inaugural podcast, and I hope that it does well. I hope people enjoy it. Yep. Guys, uh,